Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray this sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. You know, being a parent, uh, all you mothers out there, can we just say one more time, God bless the mamas in the house. We, uh, I don't know where I'd be without... You know, and listen, I, 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 like me and my mom, my mom's one of my best friends. We talk every day. We hang out all the time. I, I love my mom. But there's a lot of other women who have been spiritual moms to my life that it's not just blood mamas, right? That there's a lot of, of, of women that, that help mold and shape people with the spirit of a mom, with the heart of a mom, and, and they might not have kids of their own, and we honor you today as well. Because there is, without question, I have been shaped uh, by, by women that are not necessarily my physical mom, but their they're mom is in the spirit. And then, uh, like Faith said earlier, and I just want to speak to it directly for just a quick minute, but I know in a, in a room this size with this many people, there are women in this room who want to have children, who want to have babies, and haven't been able to. And that is a heartbreaking experience and we just say to you we stand with you and we love you we see you today and we recognize you as a mama in the spirit amen god bless you guys um there's something really uh fascinating about being a parent it conforms you and shapes you and really sandpapers you in ways you never expected i'm just being honest there's moments where you just cry out to God and you realize, I can't do this, like you messed up, I wasn't supposed to have four. <laughs> but then there's moments that you see clearly the gospel in ways you never thought you could see. And for me, one of the ways that's just, I've been reminded this week, I don't have some specific story, but but it's just in human nature, right? For or at least it, for my kids, I'm thinking of a little Leo right now. To to want to show me the things that they've learned. They, they want to show you something that they've mastered. And if we're honest, they're not very good at it. But Dad, Dad, let me show you this thing I saw on YouTube. And I always get real nervous when I hear that. Let me show you this thing I learned at church. Let me, let me show you this sweet jump I started doing. You know, and it's like, he does it, and you're like, that was it, you know? It's high expectations. But, but there's just something about human nature. You, you don't teach. I didn't, I didn't teach my kid to do things and then say, hey, I want to show my dad. It, it's just in us to want to show our dad what we've done, to, to show him what we've accomplished, to, to show him the things. The thing that makes your gut sink as a dad, though, is when your kids use a word a little bit off. And, and what I mean by this is, is most of the time they're going, Dad, I, had, I, I want to show you. Isn't that cool? Or, or do, you know, or, do you like it? You know, do you like what I've worked on? And, and that's an appropriate thing. That's good. Every now and then, though, I'll have to correct my son when he'll go, Dad, don't you love me that I do that? 
Don't you love me when I perform for you? And I have to hit my knees in those moments and pull them close and say, I don't love you because of what you do. I love you because you're mine. You didn't earn it. You know, think back to the days when, and I try to block this out a lot, but I think back to when I first brought my daughter home, you know, and she would kill me for telling this story at almost 13. But she was, you know, this big, whatever, two hands, you know, this big, laying on the bed. And I thought it was cute when she pooped on me. What's that about? No, I didn't, I didn't stay in that state long. I, but I just, you kind of go, oh, wow. If you can love something that, let's not go there. But she didn't do anything to earn it. He didn't do anything to earn it. His jumps don't give me, make me love him. His name makes me love him. His identity, who he is, he can't earn it, he can't get it, he can't. And yet for some reason in human nature as we perform for our dad and perform for our dad, it's so easy in, 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 the, in the, just the brokenness of our humanity to transfer it from dad, watch me do this because I just want to show you this cool thing to all of a sudden dad, I want to make sure that you love me because I'm doing this. I've been on this wheel for so long, I'm performing for so long. You still love me, Dad. And, and we get into this performance-driven relationship that is a lie from hell. You see, if you think for one second that you and your humanity have done something to bridge the gap between a, a sinful humanity and a perfect God, you're errored. If you think that in any way, shape, or form that your efforts or your works or your, your voice, your volunteer hours logged have somehow changed the disposition of God's love toward you, then you have completely misunderstood the gospel. We're, we're picking up in the book of Ephesians today in something that in a, in a place and in a, in, a, in a statement that has just, it's been so stated and said that perhaps it's lost its edge. We've looked at, at Paul's writing and how he's, he's given us this instruction for, for life and godliness. He's, he's giving us everything we need and he's stating, he's saying, listen, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. He's, he's provided for you all that you need. He said you're chosen, empowered, redeemed. You're trusted by God. You've been given an inheritance and sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And then he goes on last week and we, we started looking at how he, he aligns out and he goes, hey, remember you were once broken. You walked in the ways of the world. You walked in the ways of, of, of evil. You let the, the devil himself guide your life. Remember those things. And now remember, but God has 
changed your heart. He doesn't start talking right away about behavior. He says, listen, you once walked according to the ways of the world, but God came and, and gave you a new life. Last week, we celebrated four new people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. And right in front of us, right here in this room, people went from darkness to light. Their identity shifted. But their behavior, right? This is what's so wild. It, it, it's, it's so interesting to me that the Apostle Paul doesn't say, you once walked and lived and acted in accordance to the ways of this world. Now, start acting like you live in the kingdom and eventually you will earn your way into salvation. He says, now you know Jesus. Jesus died for you. He gave you everything you need. Now, your heart has been transformed. Now, then he continues on and he starts beating down the drum of where we're about to go. And he says, hey, it is by grace you've been saved. Before he ever gets to works, he says, remember this, it's by grace that you've been saved. And so there's this, you know, when you step back and slow down and read it all together, you realize something. He's not willing to get into what you're gonna do as a Christian until he beats the drum of who you are. Because if we start to try to change our activity, modify our behavior without an appropriate identity, we will fall short every time. We will find ourselves looking up to heaven saying, God, do you love me now? I sang real good today, do you love me? I, I showed up to church and I even gave a tithe today. Do you love me? And God's not up in heaven going, yeah, okay, Jerry, you did it today, buddy. You, you earned it. And then tomorrow going, I'm Jerry. Surely not, right? I, I hope not, or else he's definitely up there going, what is Ian talking about? Oh, he's looking at us going, I, didn't, I never loved you for what you do for me. But see, what is the danger of thinking about our relationship with God as something we can work for or earn from? There's no better picture before we get to the text today than in Luke chapter 15. There's a story that's familiar to many of us and maybe, maybe not to everybody, but the prodigal son story. There's a, a certain father, he has two sons. One of them comes to the father and says, give the inheritance that's coming to me. And the father divides up all that he has and he gives him his inheritance. He then goes and wastes his inheritance on prodigal living and he finds himself eating, or not eating anything, living in a pigsty, wishing that he could feed himself on the very pods that the pigs eat, a little Jewish boy in a, in a pig pen. Not a good look. And he thinks to himself, he says, he came to himself, and he thought, and he said, man, many of my father's servants have more than enough food. Maybe I'll go back to him and I'll say, hey, father, I'm sorry, I've, I've, I've destroyed our relationship, I've dishonored you, but if you'll just hire me on as one of your slaves, I'll be happy to live my days in the service to your house as a repayment for my sin. And then he said, all right, I'm doing it. So he starts rehearsing it. He's a long ways away because there's no pigs in Jerusalem. There's no pigs in Israel. So he, he starts tromping down through the desert, 
and he finds himself, you know, surely just rehearsing his, Father, I've, I've offended you and I've offended heaven. Make me like one of your hired servants. Okay, he's probably gonna slap me a couple times and then I'll, it'll be good. And while he was still a long way off, the father looked upon his son coming over the hill and he did what no dignified man would ever do. He pulled up his clothes and ran to his son, signifying, I don't care what the world says. I don't care. Rich, wealthy men in that time did not run. It was undignified of them. They didn't even show their ankles to the world. So, so, so he's running in stride. Why? Because what his son had done would earn him death in that community. And his son is coming, and he knows if anyone sees him before he covers him, that boy's dead. And he loved him so much that he runs to his son, he covers his son, he lays on his son, and he holds him in his arms, and he says, and his son starts to kind of blurt out the speech, Father, I've offended. And he says, Shut up, boy. You were dead, and now you're alive. You were lost, and now you're found. And he brings him home. He says, man, you're not gonna be a servant. You're, I'm restoring you to sonship right here, right now. Bring out the shoes, bring out the ring, bring out the robe. This is my son, he is home. And there was another brother. There was an older brother, a brother that never left home. A brother that surely worked hard, always did the right thing always looking over at his dad saying, do you love me? Do you love me? I did good, I stayed, I, I'm not like that other one. Do you love me? And we see this in Luke chapter 15, verse 25 and 32. It says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he's received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed you or a commandment you've given. I've, I've done everything right. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that I should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I wanna say quickly, three things that happen when you live a life where you're trying to earn it for, for God. When we're performing in the house, you know, this is not somebody who lived outside the house. This is not a servant. This is a son of the house. What did he do? What happened to him? He did all the right things. He had all the right behaviors and his heart was broken because he thought he could earn his father's affection as opposed to living from his father's affection. And so all of a sudden, he gets skeptical of the father's action. 
What is, what is this happening? What's going on down here? Who's in charge here? Who did this? Why would you do this? What, what's the problem? Like, if you start to try to live for God and not from our love of God, then as a believer, as a son in the house, you will begin to grow skeptical of the actions of the father. The next thing that happens is, is it says he was angry. He, the second thing, if, if the first thing is you get skeptical of God, the second thing is you're going to get angry with God. You're going to grow angry with the fact that your behavior modifications are not working to get you any further in life. I'm, I keep doing this. I keep showing up to church. I didn't get that promotion. I just don't understand why it's just, I, it never works the way I need it to. da 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 skeptical of what God's doing, angry at, at how God's behaving, at what he's up to. He resented God. And then finally what happened is he full-blown separated himself from the Father's presence entirely. You see, this is how dangerous performance-driven relationships are. Even as a son and daughter of, of the king, it can drive you to become skeptical angry, and abandon God altogether. And beloved, if we don't take that warning serious and then apply that and look at the way Paul is, is teaching us in, in Ephesians, my concern is, is that this happens all the time in the American church and we wonder why the church is weak. We wonder why the church isn't thriving, why people aren't coming, why people aren't you know, compelled to come be a part of it. It could be that there's too many people that are skeptical of God, angry at God, and running from God's presence that live in the house. Amen. And so we at some point need to go, wait a second, we need a heart alignment change in the body of Christ if we want to affect change in the world. You see, without it, all we will be is just a clanging symbol, the word says. If we do all these things, but we have not love, you are a clanging symbol. You're nonsense. You're nothing. You're, you're worthless. But if we align ourselves to right relationship with the Father, which is all Paul is trying to get across to us, he's going, hey, listen, church, my final treaties to you, I'm not correcting behavior here. I'm helping you keep aligned with that which is right and good out of concern and love for you as a body that I helped form. Remember this, you once walked according to the ways of this world, but God changed your heart. He, he came where there was no way and he made a way and invited you to come home. And now we get to today's text, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Why is he belaboring this? Lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the first thing he says is you have been saved by grace. And man, if you've heard that, if you've been around the church, I'm sure you've heard that several times. But what does it mean? What does it mean that we've been saved by grace? And how do we allow that to shift our hearts away from a posture of trying to perform 
for God, and so then we start to live from our salvation. We start to respond to the world from a, a, a wholeness and a relationship with God. You see, saved by grace. I don't know that there's a more clarifying statement in all of the scriptures. It's not ourselves. Romans eleven six says, and if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But it is, if it's of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Dr. Seuss. No, it's grace. It's not us. It's not your efforts, your attitudes, your good behavior. Our salvation is God's power and presence given to us. Not something we could attain or work for. It is a, a gift of God. You see, if you try to earn it, it's no longer unearned. You see, God chooses to save some rebellious sinners, not because they deserve or they could ever do enough to deserve it, but simply because he chooses you. That is a profound and eternal truth that needs to just resonate in the body of Christ so we stop getting skeptical, angry, and rejecting God's presence. We need more of God's presence. John Newton wrote this incredible song, a hymn back in 1796 at the age of 70 years old. He said he never forgot, this is in his journal on that day, the March 21st journal entry. It says, I'll never forget the great turning day in 1748, this word, as an obstreperous, I don't know how to say that, rebellious young man, an obstinate, we'll call him that. He was surprised to hear himself crying during a violent storm at sea, Lord, have mercy on us. For it was that day he discovered when the ship was rocking back and forth that God showed up. And for it was on that day he wrote, how precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. He's the author of Amazing Grace. And every year that followed on the 21st of March, he put a day of remembrance on his calendar of thanksgiving and fasting and prayer because it was in the perils of, of, of death itself in his in his mind, that he felt like God's grace poured out on him and saved him at sea. And so he penned this song that'll echo, I'm sure, all through eternity. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, in grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been here 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
was blind, but now I see. See, church, grace is the empowering presence of God enabling you to do what you've been called to do and be who you've been called to be. And he's saying it is the power of God that came upon you, that gave you salvation. And if he gave you salvation, then what, I mean, and I fall into this too, what are we thinking to then all of a sudden go, thank you for giving me the one thing I couldn't earn from you. Now let me earn everything else. It, it doesn't make any sense. And then the next statement, he says, you've been saved by grace through faith. Some people start making this argument. They go, see, God's part, grace, our part, faith. That's not right. See, Paul is reminding us because human nature needs to take some credit for something that even faith is a gift from God. See, Paul is setting in stone this understanding of how little we have to boast of in and of ourselves, how little we have to be controlling over. He sets the stage and the truth rejects any implications that we can then therefore go and do it in our own strength. The very thing that it says, hey, you've been saved by grace through faith, for it is a gift of God. The gift of God isn't just grace, it's grace and faith. So he's saying the very thing inside of you that accepts the salvation offered to you through Christ is a gift from God. So let me just say this to everyone. The pressure is off. He gave it to you. You can't earn it. You're not, I, I'm not that good. You're not that good. We're not that good. We can't compile enough, you know, what, because, like, I don't know how active is a dead person. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm trying to get a point across. How much, you know, I've been to a lot of wakes, a lot of funerals. I've just never seen a lot of action up there. <laughs> but the truth is, is you can't. Because if you're dead in your trespasses and sins, that means you needed animation and new life. So the very faith that you have to believe is a gift God has given to you. I have had more people the last few weeks ask me, so Pastor, what, is predestination real or is it free will? Yeah. <laughs> Can you explain it? Mm-mm. Why do you need it to be explained? So you can somehow ascend to the mount of approval? Maybe you need to go into the party and quit growing skeptical and angry and resistant to God. Because here's the thing, I can't explain the most complex, profound, spiritual mysteries of heaven. I, I will, pr I promise as soon as we get there, I'll ask. If you, you can't say you're a Christian and I believe in predestination. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Romans 9, just it's gonna evaporate your beliefs. But you also, I don't think, can be a Christian and say, God doesn't give us a choice. And I don't know how to explain that. But I'm okay with that. Why? Because I'm not God. 
and I'm gonna relinquish my need to be God, and I'm gonna be thorough, and I'm gonna be committed, and I'm gonna look, and I'm gonna study, and I'm gonna do, I'm gonna rightly divide the truth, and there are some things that are mystery to me, and I'm okay with that, because I was saved by grace. So even me being able to figure out every detail and nuance of the scripture, I don't get any more love of God for what I do. I live from the love that he has already bestowed upon me. So now he said, listen, this is how you once acted early in in Ephesians 2. This is how you once lived, but God, this is who you are now. Your new identity doesn't talk about behavior. Then in verse 8, he says, hey, don't, don't forget this. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of yourselves, lest anyone should try to boast about it. Now, therefore, finally, after covering all that ground, he takes the first stab at, at what you do as a Christian. You see, this is the, the, the free will, it's predestination thing. It's like, I've either got to work for God or I'm the frozen chosen. You know, it's all predestined and like God's, He's taking some home, others are not, and like, I don't, I can't help it, you know? <laughs> Luckily, I'm one of them. You know, you really hear a lot of unsaved people talk that way. But, but now what do we do? He says, okay, listen, here's, here's what you do. Remember from, not for. See, all too often as a pastor, for almost 15 years, I've heard folks argue, well, if we don't earn it, And we should all sit back and relax and wait for heaven. If we're predestined, free will. Free willers always come down to either working extra hard or or the predestined guys just don't want to do anything. And that's why I think I have to stand in the middle of a mystery with tension because they're both present. The reason you were chosen, adopted, and empowered, you were brought in close, given an inheritance, wasn't so you could sit and enjoy a TV show. So you could become an influencer, so you could have a comfortable life. The reason you undoubtedly were given the right to be called a child of God is to do good works. Did you hear what he said up there? For we are his workmanship. Right after he ties up, he goes, you've been saved. It's a gift. You've been given this. But don't forget this either, beloved, as a Christian, now that you've been saved, now that you've been set free, now that you have your name written in the Lamb's book of life for all of eternity, which that whole thing happened because he did it, not because you did it. From that place of an identity in Christ, now go do something in the world. And too many of us get out here and start doing before we remember why we're doing it. And so we start to do all the good things. We're going to sign up for 101. We're going to sign up for kids ministry. We're going to sign up for this ministry. We're going to do it all. Why? Because I need God to really make sure he loves me. And then you do kids ministry for a week, and then you, like, leave the faith. (laughs) I was a middle school pastor for years. I watched a lot of people walk away. But he says, hey, now that you know who you are, now that you know whose you are, now that you know 
that, that you could never earn my love, that, that there's never a thing that's gonna happen that's gonna make my love for you grow cold or be more than it is right now. Why? Does that mean it's, it's low and it's never gonna get better? No, it means it's at 10 and it can't get any louder. That, that, that my love for you is so big and so real and so consistent that now you can trust it's gonna be here and you can live from my love and you can go do good works in the world. You can go make a difference in the world. You can go be the hands and feet of Jesus, not trying to earn it, but because you have it. And so churches, we think about the kind of body of Christ we wanna become as we, as we put fixed aims out there to go, man, how do we wanna be defined? How do we wanna be known? Are we gonna be a church that's just running on the, on the, on the hamster wheel of, 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 of response or, or, or a relationship that's trying to earn God's love and affection and favor and blessing, growing frustrated and skeptical and angry? Or will we be the kind of body of Christ that gets so compelled by the love God has for us that we commit to go and be a world-changing church from God's love, not for it? You see, that's who I wanna be. That's who I, we have to be. It's what God's call is on our life. God made you like a perfectly crafted instrument. He created you intentionally to bring goodness into the world, to love him and love others, to lay your life down for each other, to, to give preference to other people before your own, to do good things, not just accomplish your goals or build a good retirement, get to the top so you can be on easy street, but to change the world. And that's why we're always saying this. We wanna have this big vision, this, this huge vision to say, man, we believe every one of you are, are made to be a world changer, but it's a simple vision. The only way we can do it is by recognizing the love that he has for us and then going out and living from it, not for it. You see, when we start to try to earn it, it makes the whole world revolve around us but when we live from it, we have enough to give the whole world. And so we've gotta be the kind of people who get, who get dialed into this. Keep the right perspective. It's not working for God. That work has been finished. He'll never love you more than he did the day you came home, and he'll never love you less. So now we're free to turn around Trusting his love isn't going anywhere. And show the world his love, a world that doesn't deserve it, but needs to be changed by it. From it, not for it. Amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son that we could be called children of God. So from that place, we wanna say, God, Use us to do good works in the world and help us see when we creep in, when we fall in, when we're tempted to, to lean in to a false identity that was never meant for us. God, we honor you today. We give thanks to you today. 
And we ask that you would write this on our heart in a way that we won't be quick to forget. Help us to go and change the world by showing the world we live from our love with you, not for it. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Happy Mother's Day. We will see you soon.